ನಿರಂಜನಂ ನಿತ್ಯಂ ಅನಂತರೂಪಂ ಭಕ್ತಾನುಕಂಪಾಧೃತವಿಗ್ರಹಂ ವೈ ಈಶಾವತಾರಂ ಪರಮೇಶಮಿಡ್ಯಂ ತಂ ರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣ ಶಿರಸಾನಮ ಜನನಿ ಸಾರದಿ ರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು ಪಾದಪದ್ಮೀತೃಣಮಿ ಮುಹೂರು ಮುಹು ನಮಸ್ತಿರಾಜಾಯೇಕಾನಂದಸೂರೈ ಸಚ್ಚಿದ್ಸುಖಸ್ವಾಯ So in the last class, we uh, completed the discussion on the chapter, the fourth chapter, what is duty. So in that chapter, uh, we have seen that Swami Vivekananda, while elucidating the karma yoga he brings out the idea of swabhava the idea of uh, the swabhava uh, uh, as has been enunciated in the bhagavad gita that as per the swabhava we are supposed to do our actions and that too with the sense of offering there's those that we are just the nimitta we are the instruments in the hand of the divine the divine has placed me in certain situation of life to take care of certain responsibilities as per my temperament as per my inclinations and i am supposed to do them with an with the idea of seek not avoid not which swami vivekananda speaks again and again that not with an ambitious goal to have some better positions in life nor i avoid i just take care of the responsibilities with a sense of an offering to the divine that all those activities i am offering to the divine so that's the idea of swabhavaj karma which has been enunciated in the bhagavad gita in the 18th chapter which swami vivekananda focuses on the fourth chapter but the enter karma yoga we will find swami vivekananda is taking up the idea of karma from the various perspectives as has been described in our scriptures it's not only the nishkama karma we should not forget that the entire vedas the most the, the majority portion of the the major portion of the vedas deals with the karma kanda with elaborate rituals yagyas which also comes as a part of karma and that becomes karma yoga when you do all those things with a sense of detachment that they are the nitya karmas i have to do them nitya and namitya karmas but i do them with a sense of detachment i don't want to get the results out of it they are meant for the chitta shuddhi so that's the idea of karma where we find 
elaborate rituals, symbols, all those things are involved. Even now we find if you go to the temple that the lot of rituals, the symbols they use, the yantras they use, when if you're doing with an attitude, with an attitude that I want to get the results out of it, then of course it's a karma, but it doesn't become karma yoga. But the same actions when I do with the idea of chitta shuddhi, what's the idea of chitta shuddhi? That I find that because of my past inclinations, I cannot just think of an abstract idea. I have to have some uh, tangible things to do. I have to have some tangible forms. I have to have some tangible rights. And then I find that I can keep my mind fixed to a particular concept. Without that, it becomes very difficult. So the scriptures have actually enunciated that the same karmakanda, if I can do with an idea of fixing my mind to the Lord without any inclination for the result, without the, any expectation for the result, the same karma can result in chitta shuddhi and that can at last end up, culminate in spiritual realization. So that's the idea of karma, which Swami Vivekananda will take up in the very the first portion of the fifth chapter. So we will now share the uh, text material for the fifth chapter. Uh, and we will, just, while reading, we will just discuss on what Swami Vivekananda has to say on this aspect of karma. So the chapter five, we help ourselves, not the world. Before considering further how devotion to duty helps us in our spiritual progress, that devotion to duty that has been described by Swamiji in the previous chapter, that's the Swabhavaja Karma. That you, what's, your duty is the all the responsibilities with which you are placed in this present life as per your inclinations, as per your temperaments and devotion to that duty, how it helps us in spiritual progress by doing the same thing with an attitude of an offering of an offering to the divine that I don't seek any result out of it. So that entails in the spiritual progress which Swamiji has discussed. That's what he's mentioning before considering further how devotion to duty helps us in our spiritual progress let me place before you in a brief compass another aspect of what we in India mean by karma. So in the last chapter we found Swami Vivekananda was referring to the Swabhavaja karma. This chapter starts with the idea of karma associated with the karmakanda of Vedas which speaks of ritualistic worship. In every religion there are three parts philosophy, mythology and rituals. So this what, out of what are these three? The philosophy. As a human being, we cannot remain satisfied with the sunset pleasures of life. Just in eating, sleeping, drinking that cannot just satisfy us. As Swami Vivekananda used to say 
that man just uh, as a human being that we cannot just live by this bread alone when our physical needs are satisfied we will find that the higher questions of life are bound to come in our mind and we have to answer them so as uh, we will find that there are various indications of swamiji then when he was asked about the socialist movement in those days socialism in those days he told it's very good socialism is very good and then the reason he is saying that is good because half a loaf is better than no loaf at all if you your basic needs are not fulfilled you can never think of the higher values of life it's impossible those basic needs will keep you engaged in your day to day activities that how can i meet my ends so as sri ramakrishna also used to say khali pete dharma hoy na that we cannot think of a higher life of religion in empty stomach so when you are hungry your entire attention is how to just meet the ends meet so to meet the bare necessities of life once that is taken care of now i can just not remain satisfied with it the hunger the urge for meaning of life the question that evolves and that's what the philosophy if all the religion deals with and what it actually deals with the nature of the real world what's its actual real nature the nature of the existence the way someone thinks about life and death how to deal with it is there some cause behind this existence all these questions are bound to come and if there is a cause what's our relation to that cause what's our real nature am am i just going to be annihilated with the end of this life or do something in me continue so these are the things which the philosophy deals with and it is something which is bound to be there for the human kind as long as the human beings are there it must be there as swami vivekananda used to say just like the way we need water we need food for our existence religion is also a basic necessity of human being you can never throttle it you can never stop it however we may try that question will come because in our life we find that with all our progress we are at the end of a precipice in the word of swami vivekananda and you cannot proceed farther the huge gorge that one step further will just simply annihilate you so you that then ask then what what after this and that from that question comes the philosophy now this philosophical concepts may be quite abstract it becomes very difficult that once the questions comes in our mind and someone speaks to us of all the philosophical thoughts which has evolved in the human history we will find it's very difficult to relate to it unless there's a mythology the mythologies are there where what the mythologies are based on through the history there are there we will find that there are many as various human beings the great ones who have really tried to that internalize all the values which has been spoken of in our religion 
and transform their life itself into a living commentary of the philosophy. Their life becomes a living commentary. It's something enlivened, the entire religion, the philosophy gets enlivened through their life. And that speaks of the mythology. Uh, so as Sri Ramakrishna used to say, a very nice thing, that one day Swami Vivekananda was in Dakshineshwar. He was uh, just having some discussion with Sri Ramakrishna on the philosophical, abstract philosophical concepts. And then Sri Ramakrishna, just to bring the point home, that is all these abstract ideas, just if you keep it in the discussion level, it has no utility in our life. And to bring that point home, then suddenly Sri Ramakrishna told, just see that there's an almanac lying nearby. It was just in his room, in the corner of his room. He asked Naren to bring that almanac. And then he told Naren that you just open and see the forecast for this year. And Naren read that, that there is going to be torrential rain. And then Ramakrishna told, now you squeeze the almanac. You won't get a single drop of water. So what's the idea? That till you get that drop of water, it's only book and book. It's bookish knowledge. It's mentioned there, you are going to get torrential rain. But you squeeze the book, you get not a single drop. So the myth, the, the myths, the mythology, the mythology is actually speaking of all those lives who have enlivened the philosophy by living it. And that gives the meaning to the philosophy. Otherwise, philosophy has no meaning. It's just like the philosophy becomes just like the IC chip of your computer. That it's just a dry log wood unless the current passes through it and it creates the world of virtual reality. So philosophy is something dry unless it is passing through a life. It, it is in living a life and to create a this world of the, the spirituality. That's the idea behind all the mythologies. That's the motivating factor. When I read those lives, that motivates me that I can also become like those person. They become our inspiration. They become our motivating factor. So there from the philosophy, we come to the, this, the mythologies, the mythology. And from there, that also is not sufficient. When we read those life, at the beginning, we may feel that it's, oh, it's something easy. I can also lead that type of life. And then we will find it's not that easy. I need something tangible, something solid to hold on because those concepts are quite abstract. And then we will find that we are in need of the rituals. And the rituals is not something which is only uh, restricted to the religion. It's everywhere. Just to show that I am patriotic, what we do. On the day, on the Independence Day, we hoist the national flag. It's a ritual. For the Olympics, with the torch you are running, that you are going to light the torch and start the game before that lot of all those, all the countries with all their play, with all the one who are participating in the Olympics, they will march to just bring out the point of solidarity. All those things are rituals. Everywhere we will find 
that the rituals is something without which we cannot hold on to the abstract we need them and such that and the same thing we we find in the religion that is the, in all the religions we will find that they have elaborate rituals whenever there was an attempt to get rid of the rituals we will find the religion the religion lost its strength it never can have that strength that intensity without that rituals so that's what is being indicated by the term ritual here so every religion has these three parts philosophy mythology and ritual philosophy of course is the essence of every religion mythology explains and illustrates it by means of more or less legendary lives of great men stories and fables of wonderful things and so on ritual gives to that philosophy a still concrete form so that everyone may grasp it ritual is in fact concretized philosophy to understand what that how the ritual helps us in our in our scriptures there is a idea of aham graha upasana what is it that the vigraha which is outside that i have to internalize if i just go and stand in front of the vigraha and say you are great i am small in that way it's not going to help me i am a sinner oh you are the lord please save me yes of course there is a sense of resignation but actually the vigraha is not there only to say that i remain as i am entire responsibility is on you to save me the vigraha is there so that i can convert it into aham graha means the vigraha should be internalized it should become a, an aspect of my life how can it be done how can i internalize all the ideas and ideals which that vigraha represents so it is a very nice way of understanding it suppose a doctor has three or four children after the throughout the day's work he returns and after returning now he is relaxed he wants to relax first he opens the white coat which he is wearing keeps the stethoscope opens the shoes and he is just relaxing and in the meantime we find all the children come running one will get hold get hold of the white coat and wear it someone else and the other child will get the stethoscope and someone will wear the father's shoes and they all will be moving around the house as if enacting as if they have become the doctor by wearing the white coat as if the child has become the doctor with a stethoscope the child thinks that i am the doctor the one who has worn who is wearing the father's shoes that child also thinks i am also as great as my father a doctor a very reputed doctor so these are all childish acts just by wearing the white coat you never become a doctor just by having the stethoscope you never become a doctor just by wearing the father's shoes you never become a doctor but the father is happy why he knows that these acts are mere childish apparently they have no meaning but through all these childish acts they are developing the motivation that one day we also will become a reputed doctor just like our father so that the motivation these acts are all very simple childish apparently meaningless varied that's the many where people will be criticizing hinduism that we don't have an organized way of practicing religion 
if you go to the kumbh mela the biggest religious congregation in the world you can never you can never see such a huge congregation anywhere but we won't find any two people doing the same thing what to speak of two people even the husband and wife has their own way of practicing religion and apparently it appears to be a highly disorganized mob but that's just the apparent way of seeing there may be not no regimentation that at the same time all are getting up at the same time all are bowing down all are repeating the same uh, chants maybe it's not there that regimentation is not there it appears to be highly disorganized mob but the idea is that ahamgra like all those three four children all are doing some childish acts if you ask what's the meaning yes ultimately it will be very difficult to convince someone that what i am doing is really very very meaningful but it's not the act it's the motivation which you are growing all of them have the same common motivation that i want to purify myself i want to become more and more detached i want to get more and more aware of the presence of the divine in my life no one can deny that whatever i may be doing and that's what the democracy in the religion you are allowed that's the ahamgraha upasana and that speaks of the rituals that i need to hold on to something to keep my motivation alive and that's the ritual which swami is speaking of that we need something tangible which this this ritual gives the philosophy a still more concrete form so that everyone may grasp it ritual is in fact concretized philosophy this ritual is karma so now you will find that swami vivekananda when he is dealing with this subject of karma yoga he is having in his background the entire gamut of all the ideas which is related to karma and karma yoga so previously he was speaking of nishkama karma sabhavaja karma now he is not leaving out this the portion the karma kanda is not denouncing it he is bringing it in his discussion and just to bring home the point that it also has a great role to play in our spiritual life so that's why he is bringing this topic he is not leaving it out this ritual is karma it is necessary in every religion because most of us cannot understand abstract spiritual things until we grow much spiritually sri ramakrishna's examples are wonderful sri ramakrishna used to say in a hot uh, sun a what is in the hot summer day it's very humid the sultry weather and as you are feeling very what you say that that tremendous that heat you are feeling uneasy what you do we do we take a hand fan to uh just calm uh, to cool down a bit and suddenly sri ramakrishna is saying suddenly you find that you are using the hand fan and the southern breeze starts blowing then what happens the hand fan will fall off there is no need of the hand fan because the moment the southern breeze starts blowing so what's the southern breeze that's the real <clears throat> what you say that our evolution in our spiritual life once you have evolved really in spiritual life then all the rituals falls off but before that the rituals 
are a necessary thing. How nicely Sri Ramakrishna explained explain that. That one keeps apart the fan, <coughs> fan when the southern breeze blows. In another place, he is giving a, a very interest, very important, significant point. He is discussing that why the rituals in the initial stage is required. As he used to say, that for a sapling, you need a hedge. Otherwise, the grazing animal will come and simply destroy it, eat it up. So you need a hedge when the sap, when it is a small sapling. But when it has grown, it's a huge tree, most probably a banyan tree. Then what to speak of protecting it? It itself becomes the factor, it itself becomes the factor of sustenance and protection of others. The other creatures can come and enjoy its shade. There can be the birds who are just have their nest on its branches. So it becomes the factor of sustenance. It itself required, required that hedge in the beginning. So rituals are like that. So that's why Swami Vivekananda also in favor of ritualism have has, has a very nice statement he has uh, quoted. What's that, what he's saying? Swamiji's words, these words all become relevant when we try to understand in its correct perspective that Swami Vivekananda, according to Swami Vivekananda, what he's saying that it is very good to be born in a church, but it is horrible to die there. The word church he is using not only for a particular denomination or a particular religion. What church means the all the in this initial spiritual practices, the all the organizations, all the so-called temples, the synagogues, all these are included in the church. These all have a utility. But if we find that we have to continue with it throughout our life, then we should know that we haven't grown. So it is very good to be born in a church with all those rituals, everything. It's very good, but it is horrible to die there. So that means we haven't outgrown. So that's the idea which Swamiji is indicating here. This ritual is karma. It is necessary in every religion because most of us cannot understand abstract spiritual things until we grow much spiritually. So till you grow spiritually, they are there to protect us, to help us too. Just like, you know, the small child, when it's learning to walk, it needs some support. So these rituals are like the support at the beginning. But once you learn to walk, that support is no more needed. So it is easy for men to think that they can understand anything. But when it comes to practical experience, they find that abstract ideas are often very hard to comprehend. Therefore, now he's coming to the fourth aspect. First, he spoke of philosophy. The next is the mythology. The third is the ritual. The fourth is the symbol. So this symbol is a thing which now he's bringing into his discussion. So that it is easy for men to think that they can understand anything. But when it comes to the practical experience, they find that abstract ideas are often very hard to comprehend. Therefore, symbols are of great help and we cannot dispense with the symbolical method of putting things before us. Now this symbol, it plays a great role uh, in the life of a human being. That has become, like these symbols are the thing 
which is responsible for us to evolve in a much different in a very very different way than any other creature the symbol to give a very common example just let us try to understand a small child is playing with a stick in the backyard of his house it's a very common thing we find the children have their old childish play and now <clears throat> the father goes and asks the child what are you doing so first he doesn't any reply he just goes on playing with the stick and the father asks what are you doing with the stick leave it off what that useless thing you are doing and then the child shouts don't come near i am having a sword in my hand the father laughs the child also laughs it's just like a prank but actually the child has done something which no other creature can do it is the dual representation the sword the stick has become the sword see the sto- the stick is now a symbol it's not a real sword it is just a symbol this symbolical reasoning is something which has made the human beings unique it has given us the capacity the language enter language is actually symbol when here in my presence at just here near me there is no pot i just use the word pot immediately the idea comes to my mind so the word is just a mere symbol of the real thing it may not be there in my presence so all the language and from the language then it came then from the language came the writing the language the writing our mathematical notations mathematical reasoning our art everything is actually symbol see everything as a human being has evolved because of our capacity of symbol reasoning and it do has a great role of course in religion like in any other field of our life symbol has a great role what's the biggest role with the language what's the biggest role in biology there is a theory that how evolution has happened what's the proof that evolution has happened there is a theory called recapitulation theory ontogeny repeats phylogeny what actually it means that ontogeny repeats phylogeny that the successors precede that follows all the steps which has been uh, followed by the predecessors to give an example the successor that what that how what's the biggest proof that evolution has really happened if you study the embryology so that if you study the embryology you will understand what this uh, ontogeny repeats phylogeny means if you study the embryo we as a when we were born in the mother's womb we started as a single cell and from there in 9 months we became the human being the entire to become a human being it took 9 months we started as a single cell and if you study the embryo you will find at certain state we were just like the amphibians we were like the fish we had two chambered heart then it became three chambered it became four chambered just like the lower forms of life they in the lower forms of life they have two chambered heart three chambered heart then uh, as an mammal we have the four chambered heart we had tail in the coccyx region that also before we took birth it was retraced back our we had like fish fins that got converted into lungs 
if you just study the embryo, the process by which it is growing. Now, why we are saying this? That how it is, it can be proven that as a human being, we are the most evolved. Now in the, in the nature, from a single cellular organism to evolve to a human being, it took millions of years. But in the mother's womb, it happens just in nine months. It's just like the rebooting of your computer. When you on the computer, it's not just like owning the lights with just owning the switch. That in a just you just on the switch, immediately the light uh, glows. It's not like that. In computer, what happens? All the softwares which we have loaded there, one kicks the other, the other kicks the other, and all gets activated. And when at last you find your computer is on, the same thing is happening in the mother's womb. It's the rebooting of the entire process of evolution in a very short time, in nine months, and we are born as a human being. And that's why it is told that ontogeny repeats phylogeny, that when we are in the mother's womb, we are repeating the entire process of evolution at a very fast pace. As a human being, the evolution is not merely biological. Now, when we are born, it is because of this symbol, symbolic reasoning, we again evolve at a very fast rate. Just think a small child goes to the school. By the, by the time he's in the 12th standard, he's 16 or 17 or 18, whatever may be his age, in a span of 12, 13 years of his education, what he has done or she has done, what our science took, that Newton discovered gravitation, then electromagnetic thing uh, uh, laws were discovered, so many things were discovered. It took hundreds of years as a human being to have that huge fund of knowledge. The science, the history, if you study all those knowledge which we have gathered through our historical progress in thousands of years, in hundreds of years, the child is learning again just in 12 years of his education life. So what is happening? because of this symbol, symbolic reasoning, what the genes have done uh, for your biological evolution, the same thing the language is doing, the language takes the role of the gene in our intellectual evolution. So now you will understand how important the symbol is. Because why we are saying it's suppose whenever we speak of symbol and all, immediately we start criticizing it's something as mere meaningless ritual meaningless, something, something meaningless, which is related to the religion. No, it actually speaks of the entire human evolution. Our language is itself a symbol. So now you'll find that what Swamiji is saying do make sense. Therefore this, what he's saying, it is necessary in every religion because most of us cannot understand abstract spiritual things. The symbol has helped us to evolve like anything. Just to give a common example, that there is a quick sand somewhere, somewhere, and a chimpanzee goes and falls in it and dies. And then the chimpanzee's son, the chimpanzee's grandson follows the same mistake. But for a human being, when you go for someone of our grandfather has fallen on the quicksand and somehow he saved himself, what he does, he just will be keeping a signage there. Don't go there. There is quicksand, you may fall, you may be in danger. And now no one will be committing the same mistake. So we can learn through the experiences of our predecessors. So that's what the very the importance of the symbols. The simple signage has helped me to avert those danger. So that's why 
These symbols are so much necessary. It is necessary in every religion because most of us cannot understand abstract spiritual things until we grow much spiritually. It is easy for men to think that they can understand anything. But when it comes to practical experience, they find the abstract ideas are often very hard to comprehend. Therefore, symbols are of great help and we cannot dispense with the symbolical method of putting things before, just as we were discussing. It is a must that symbolical reasoning has made us humans. From time immemorial, symbols have been used by all kinds of religions. In one sense, we cannot think but in symbols. That's what even the language is symbol. Words themselves are symbols of thought. So that's the Samaji is also indicating that words, the word language is itself is actually a symbol. They themselves are symbols of thought. In another sense, everything in the universe may be looked upon as a symbol. Now in this Swami Vivekananda's lectures are sometimes really very difficult to understand. Some of the sentence appears to be so simple, but as in his background of his, and as in the background of his mind, a tremendous storehouse of spiritual knowledge is there. Sometimes he's speaking a sentence which appears to be a casual sentence, but he is aware of the highest spiritual ideas. And in one sentence, in such a way he's putting it, it actually becomes like a sutra. It's in another sense, everything in the universe may be looked upon as a symbol. The whole universe is a symbol and God is the essence behind. How the whole universe is a symbol? In the modern language, they say, what we see is not the reality. It is a map of reality. Map is a symbol. It is not the reality. By seeing the map, then I go out uh, to find out the roads, to find out the destination. Similarly, so that map becomes a symbol. The whole universe is actually a symbol. We have discussed it so many times. So I am just again saying that what we are doing, that the colors are not outside. It is we who are projecting the colors. It is we who are painting the universe. Why? In the words of Shankaracharya, for the Vyavaharika Satya. Ultimately, everything is divine. But as long as I'm in the physical body, I have to deal with the so-called physical existence. And to help me out, I need some maps. And that's the Vyavaharika Satya. How to, uh, how to understand that? That I, when I draw a map, what I do? I put the colors. for the Suppose for the main road, I put any freeway, I put green color. All the roads which are merging with the freeway, I just uh, color it green. The freeway is red and the merging roads are green and most probably the roads which are the exits, which are moving out, that's some, uh, some other color, yellow. Are there really yellow, green, red colored roads outside there? You will never find it. While drawing the map, I have used them so that it becomes easy for me to uh, navigate through the road where I'm passing, when I'm passing through to go to my destination. So I've used those colors. Similarly, the outside world, what is there is something unknown. Religion says ultimately asserts that it is the only non-dual spiritual thing which alone exists. But for the time being, it is actually unknown. It is all the attributes which we are putting on it. We will see this, the words of the Vedantas will become very clear if you try to understand. We say that at last, I cannot deny the easiness 
there is something that I cannot deny. All other the attributes can be denied. Those attributes, upadhi, if you remove what remains, that's the actual reality. What actually speaking, that everything, that easiness, there is something. All the attributes are imposed by my mind or the projection of my mind, the color, the smell, the all the five senses, which constitutes the attributes of the thing that are the projection of the mind. But the thing which is that real isness that I, I cannot perceive with my senses. So here you will find this is the highest philosophy. In one sentence, Swamiji, how nicely is putting the whole universe is a symbol. The God is the essence, the isness behind. That isness I cannot deny. Something is, I don't know what it is, on which I am imposing the color, I am imposing the smell, I am imposing the test. These are all my impositions, my projection. As we again, again, again told, with one example, again in a short, we can discuss the flower which is red is actually not red. It has no color. The wavelengths of light have no color. It strikes your eyes, its function stops there, it gets converted into nervous current, which when is reaches the color perception center. Its color is not perceived. The color center is actually throwing out the color. That particular wavelength of nervous current is interpreted, decoded as that color, which is projected out by your mind. It goes and envelops the flower to give its redness. So now you will find that redness is not the attribute of the flower. The flower is, I cannot deny its existence. There is something, but what it is, I can never know. All the attributes are the projection of the mind. So all the attributes are the symbols which say there is something. So now you will understand that it's a very high philosophy in one sentence Swami is saying that whenever I see something and say it is nice taste, it is a nice smell, that at last I can always say that there is something, there is some existence. But that existence, what it is with the present, as long as I'm within the mind and sense, I can never know. You have to transcend the mind and senses to know its real essence. But one thing I can say that, that there is something, all the attributes are mere symbols which are projected by me for my convenience, for my day-to-day -day dealing with the world. They have been projected by me just the way I put color in the map for my own convenience. So now you will find in one sentence, Swamiji is actually speaking of this whole lot of the Vedanta philosophy, of subjective idealism. The whole universe is a symbol and God is the essence behind. This kind of symbology is not simply the creation of man. It is not that certain people belonging to a religion sit down together and think out certain symbols and bring them into existence out of their own minds. It never happened. The symbols of the religion have a natural growth. Just the way our language, our writing, they are all natural growth. Even modern science actually will be ascertaining this fact. I am just, I will give you an example just, uh, when we just come to the discussion. That is the example of Boba Kiki effect. You can search it in the internet. It's a very interesting uh, experiment. I am just, uh, just now, uh, indicating, you will find so wonderful it is. Suppose there is a particular tribe with particular alphabets. One of the alphabet is Boba, 
they call it boba just the way we call a particular alphabet a and denote it in a particular way another alphabet b and denote it in a particular way so those tribe has boba and kiki as the two alphabets and just the two indications you are seeing on the screen in your screen which i'm sharing that one has very sharp spikes and another is a bit rounded one of the figure has sharp spikes and another figure has all the edges are rounded now we don't know the tribal language and we ask you just guess of this two which is buba and which is kiki which is buba and which is kiki the one which is having sharp spikes is either the buba or the kiki and the which have have which have the round edges is the round, it is it can be it can also be buba and kiki you simply guess i have i think by this time you have already guessed and i am sure 90% of you have already thought that's what happens with this experiment has considered this as kiki which are having sharp spikes and the rounded edge that you think as boba so with the pronunciation you have already actually there is no such language which has buba kiki as their alphabet this experiment has been produced to show the relation between that our mind and the symbols which we are using this is a very natural relation when you are speaking something with a very high pitch immediately we will represent it with some spikes and whenever we are having some our when when our speech is having some rounding effect immediately we will have some rounded figures in our mind so this is the buba kiki effect which has been spoken of in the this is a modern psychology so with this we find that the symbols of religion have a natural they grow naturally there is some link between the way we are the mind thinks of the concepts and the language and the symbol which we use to represent them otherwise why is it that certain symbols are associated with certain ideas in the mind of almost everyone certain symbols are universally prevalent many of you may think that the cross first came into existence as a symbol in connection with the christian religion but as a matter of fact it existed before christianity was before moses was born before the vedas were given out before there was any human record of human things the cross may be found to have been in existence among the aztecs and the phoenicians every race seems to have had the cross again the symbol of the crucified savior of of a man crucified upon a cross appears to have been known to almost every nation the circle has been a great symbol throughout the world then there is the most universal of all the symbols the swastika at one time it was thought that the buddhist carried it all over the world with them but it has been found out that ages before buddhism it was used among nations in old babylon and in egypt it was to be found what does this show all these symbols could not have been purely conventional if it was conventional then only a particular tribe or sect would have developed how could be it so universal in among all the various tribes which as such had no connection they were all separated they had no geographical link in the olden days they never communicated with each other 
then how could they have the same symbol? It speaks of that the symbols have some natural link with the way we think, with our mental concepts. So that's what Swamiji is pointing out here. There must be some reason for them, some natural association between them and the human mind. Language is not the result of convention. Language itself is a symbol that also is not a result of convention. It is not that people ever agreed to represent certain ideas by certain words. That never was the idea without a corresponding word or a without a corresponding idea. Ideas and words are in their nature inseparable. So very interesting. Even uh, what to speak of very uh, the, about the origin of our language. In our own lifetime, you will find that so many usages uh, starts creeping in our language. It's not that we are planning to use the uh, that words in a certain way. It's this, those usages start creeping, and then we find after another 10, 20 years, the usage has become so universal they have entered into the dictionary. So now you will understand. It's not that the diction from the dictionary the words are coming. That someone has sat was has sat down and just uh, instructed all to use those words. It has never happened. Somehow in the with, with our in our civilization, the word starts creeping up. It evolves, develops, it becomes a common usage, and then it enters the dictionary. The grammar also has formed that way. It's not the grammar was first there to uh, create a framework for the language. The language developed by its own. And then the grammar came later to find out the, the hidden links of uh, what is the, the rhythms be behind the entire language and the grammar evolved later. So that's what Swamiji is saying, saying that the language is not the result of convention. That's just like a, a, writing a dictionary or grammar. First it came and then the language came. They came later. First the language has evolved by its own. It is not that there never was the idea without the corresponding word or a word without a corresponding idea. Again, Swamiji speaking with a huge background of our scriptures in the mind. Very interesting that every idea should have a word. He's not speaking everything should have a word, every idea. Very interesting. When I see a red flower, if I just use the term red, or not, in our regional language, I may say it is lal, raktim, in Sanskrit, raktim varna. Whatever word I may use, whether I use it's raktim varna or I use the word red, when I'm perceiving, my perception, even without the word, is same as your perception. There is no difference in it. So there, when I'm perceiving a thing, for perceptual knowledge, language is not important. Words are not important. For perceptual knowledge, whatever words we may use, we perceive the same thing at last. But when it comes to ideas, the word is necessary. Very common example we will give, you will understand. That suppose an elderly person is passing through the street holding the hands of a small child. Unless someone says that the elderly man is the father of the child. The word father is a concept, is an idea. You cannot see it is not a perceptual knowledge. Unless they say he's the father, can you ever know that he's the father? He may be his uncle, he may be his elder brother, anything he may be, or he may be just a uh, known, the neighbor is a, the, the neighbor 
who just is taking the child somewhere it may be anything unless someone use the word father can you ever know that that's what's the relation between these two so for ideas for this conceptual knowledge word becomes a must so without that we can never have the knowledge so that's why swami ji it's from our scriptures we are singing the yoga sutra this tasya vachaka pranava that ish with you, that you will find that we constantly say that the god and his name are inseparable and we sometimes mystify it there is nothing to mystify that god actually for me is a concept that he is such a being from whom the entire creation has evolved in him the entire creation is sustained all these concepts i can never understand unlike unless i use the word god or unless i use any vachaka that omkara i don't if i don't use it is almost impossible to convey the idea behind it so that's why in yoga sutra they say tasya vachaka pranava that his nomenclature is om so that's the idea here that when it comes to the ideas unless there is word i can never understand it so it is not that people have agreed to represent certain ideas with certain words that never was an idea without a corresponding word or without a corresponding idea ideas and words are in their nature inseparable naam nami abhed just like the flower and its fragrance i cannot separate so the name and the idea cannot be separated the symbols to represent ideas may be sound symbols or color symbols again you may find that this sentence swami ji is just speaking out but actually he is having the scriptures in his background in tantra that kala to understand a particular aspect the in which the in which way the divine has uh, manifested the divine has manifested as the entire universe those are called kala particular aspects in you in a particular way it has manifested in me it has manifested in a particular way and how to understand in what way it has manifested there are two ways name and nama and rupa that nama is a particular vibration as the words nama represents the words and rupa represents the vibration of color of rupa this rupa means both are vibrations very interesting in sanskrit you will find the color is also translated as varna and color and the sound the alphabets they are also varna in sanskrit the alphabets are also varna and the color is also varna you will see what a wonderful way the language has been developed varna actually represents the particular way of vibration of the particular aspect of divinity it does it is not the entire divinity the divinity is manifesting in a particular way and that corresponds to a particular vibration that may be a vibration of rupa of color or of nama in the form of words that's what swami is saying the symbols to represent ideas may be sound symbols or color symbols both are varna deaf and dumb people have to think with other than sound symbols every thought in the mind has a form as its counterpart this is called in sanskrit philosophy nama rupa name and form here again a wonderful idea is hidden many most of the people those who don't understand hinduism they say that 
we are idol worshippers. We worship idol. But still we don't worship idol. We are worshipping a concept which is represented as a symbol in the form of the idol. And you may say, what was the use of using the idol? We could have, we would have just avoided it. But actually why the idol is used? It has a psychological reason. The psychological reason you will all understand. Suppose I suddenly uh, just spell out the name of a very familiar figure of one of your friend or one of your relative who is not in your presence. Say his name is uh, John. I just say, oh, John. Immediately, his picture will, you will be visualizing his picture in your mind. These two, whenever you're thinking, whenever I'm just thinking in my mind, what is happening? With each and every thought, which of course finds expression is a language. Language is the nama. That thought has two components. One is the language and another is immediately along with the language you're visualizing. Whatever you're thinking with the words, the visualization is going on. Now in spiritual life, the biggest challenge is when I have to think of God, you all will agree. Sometimes we are uh, reciting the mantras, but my mind is traveling somewhere else in the form of visualization. You may be visualizing something else because your thought has two components, nama, rupa. Each and every thought web, each and every vritti has these two components, word and visualization, shabda and the rupa, nama and the rupa. So now if I say that, see, the divinity is manifested in this form, its name is such and such, while meditating, while repeating, the, while repeating the name, try to visualize this form as if sitting in your heart. Now the meditation becomes very effective. There's a chance that though you are repeating something mechanically, your mind is visualizing something else and you are having fantasies, the chance gets reduced. And after all, spirituality lies in realization and realization comes only by streamlining the mind, by stopping its vagaries. All the religions will say that. And that is done most effectively when you are understanding this particular psychological aspect and using a symbol to restrict your mind with the Nama and the Rupa. So that's what Swamiji is bringing here. So now you will find that how the elaborate rituals, symbologies, all these forms has something to do with our spiritual life. Otherwise, we would have not got the great persons like Ramakrishna, who was the entire product of rituals. He came out from the rituals. If the rituals were meaningless, we would have not never uh, just uh, have a person like a spiritual giant like Ramakrishna. And that's why Swamiji is saying that we forget about the reason. Just say me that any religion which has not produced the great person with all those so-called elaborate rituals, meaningless symbols and all, has is there any religion which has not produced great, this great person? The, as long as it has produced great person, know it that it has some efficacy. If you have to judge a tree, judge it from its fruit, what the fruit it has produced. And it has all these religions have produced the fruit. So that's why we cannot simply denounce them. All these rituals, everything, has a wonderful efficacy. 
the way of working we actually give too much importance to our reasoning faculty there is so many things happening beyond the reasoning and that's the thing swamiji is trying to bring home that here we find that this in philosophy is nama rupa name and form it is as impossible to create by convention a system of symbols as it to create a language in the world's ritualistic symbols we have an expression of the religious thought of humanity this sentence again is very important we will take up again from this portion in the next class that how the ritualistic symbols actually is expressing the sublime religious thought which that particular section of the humanity represents uh, so, so that point we will with that we will start so you will i think you have already started finding that how this aspect of karma why swamiji has taken up because it has a tremendous efficacy in our spiritual life however we may reason however we may feel we may resort to philosophy unless we have something tangible to hold on it becomes almost impossible to grow spiritually we may be a wonderful lecturer but you know as per our own spiritual growth we will find we are there as we were as ramakrishna used to say very nicely tablar bol mukhe bola shohoj hate ana kothin that when you are lying, you don't want to learn the percussion tabla and the teacher comes and says the rhythm to you and asks you to repeat it doesn't take even 5 minutes you memorize it and you repeat it dadhinna tadhinna whatever it may be you repeat it and now the teacher says bring it in your hand play it it may take months so many will be with the tall talkers at the philosophy but in their real life you will find that almost no transformation has happened why because to really bring it in their hand to internalize it to become skillful that's where the real challenge is and there the symbols the rituals the mythology do play a great role that's what swamiji is that point swamiji is bringing uh, home gradually through this discussion so we will take up the remaining portion again in the next class with this we stop our discussion today